When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Absock, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of Ice and Fire. If you're just joining us, this is what we do. We talk about Game of Thrones, talk about the Song of Ice and Fire, and your voice. It's just as important as my voice. Call in here on Anchor so we can uh, hear your voice, hear your theories, hear your speculations. You can also find me on Twitter at Ken Absock. Use the hashtag Daily Thrones. Season 8 may be a long way away. And Season 7 is fresh in our brains. We're going to still talk about Season 7. There's so much to uh, break down following that season. I want to hear more of your guys' theories and speculations and analysis and joy and critiques. Uh, Season 7, we're going to talk about here for a while on Daily Thrones. But as we uh, also look towards the future, we'll, we'll, like I said, talk about Season 8. And I want to start talking about the possible spinoffs or prequel series or sequel series or whatever it might be. Plus, at some point, we're going to get ourselves some books. We got the uh, one about the Targaryens, uh, the history of the Targaryens coming out. What was the fire and blood? I'm looking in the room like someone's in the room with me. I just can't remember off the top of my head. And of course, uh, hopefully, book six, uh, Winds of Winter should be coming soon. I have a feeling, finally, we're going to see it before season eight of Game of Thrones. Um, or yeah, We can hope. That's all we can do is hope. Um, so let's go to the lines, the phone lines, and hear what you guys have to say as we look back at season seven. Hi, love speaking. It's curious that people uh, reaction on John uh, and Daenerys relation, but nobody cares about Jamie and Sergei. Why? Why is that? Why? Por qué? Por qué? Por qué reaccionan así en la relación de John y Daenerys y no con Jamie y Cersei? All right, I've been waiting to post this great call from Lobo for a couple of days now, but I think it's a fair question. He, now he's asking, why are people freaking out over Danny and John, but not so much the Lannisters? And I think that question can actually go the other way around. Why people are still maybe uh, rooting for Jan- Danny and John to get together, and we're rooting for it, and still don't really like the idea of Cersei and Jamie getting together because they're brother and sister. I don't know. It's a fair question, Lobo. Both ways. Why people might be more upset about Danny and John is, well, there are heroes. There are main characters. So maybe we don't want to see them in this uh, really off-putting, icky relation. And Jamie and, and, and Cersei, for the most part, are the bad guys. The ones we're rooting against for, at least Cersei. Uh, Jamie's changed over the years. And in fact, as Jamie's changed, more people wanted to go. But I've talked with people. I've, I've been around fans who are like, oh, yeah, Jamie and Cersei's relationship, hot stuff. We're all for it kind of crazy but we just go with it and uh, a lot of people just don't want uh, Danny and John to be together the flip side I've, I've, I've seen and heard people rooting for Danny and John to get together and never really rooting for Cersei and Jamie to get together stay together or whatnot. I think some of that might be attributed to if you weren't familiar with the story if you hadn't read a, read a song of ice and fire suddenly you're watching that first episode and bam what you, you come you you along with Bran discover what's going on 
um, it might put you in an odd spot where you never could quite accept their relationship. And I think that's probably normal. But uh, after that, you then are almost used to it. And I think we all just, there's times where I forget some of the scenes. And I don't just talk about sex scenes or anything with, with Cersei and Jaime. I'm just talking about some of the conversations, the relationship talk, uh, uh, stuff going on where you're like, oh, there's some hot passion there. These guys, good relationship goals. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's right. I forget. It's just, you've, it's been on our lives for so long where, you know, uh, John and Danny are fresh. And again, I think it goes back to them being the main characters. It was an interesting side effect of this season. A lot of people rooting for something we shouldn't have. Maybe Something we never should have with Jamie and Cersei. I hope that answers your question, Lobo. Love to hear your guys' thoughts. You can always check in with Daily Thrones about the icky love on Game of Thrones. Hey, Ken. Matt from the Big Fat Future here. So I was watching the whole bit with Cersei and the Golden Company unfold, and a thought struck me, and I had to go online to confirm it, but um, there was a line back in Season 4 where Dario was making a bid to join Danny's army. And Jorah said to Danny, hey, listen, you can't, uh, don't trust him, you can't trust a sellsword. And Danny looks at him and said, well, didn't you fight for the Golden Company? And Jorah was like, well, I guess so. Yeah, so that was a little bit of an interesting twist there. Jorah actually fought for the Golden Company. And I'm wondering, considering the kind of guy that Jorah is, if he still has connections there. And if so... Does that give Danny a little bit of leverage in the, the, the war to come, right? Does that uh, maybe work a little bit towards neutralizing the Golden Company? Can she deploy Jorah, who will do anything that, the, uh, that his queen wants, um, to help uh, tamp down that, uh, that threat of the Golden Company? Just a thought. So Matt from the Big Fat Future, it's a great question about the Golden Company as it relates to Jorah Mormont. We do know that Jorah maybe spent some time in the air uh, serving with the Golden Company, the group of swords over in the Disputed Lands in Essos. Could have been too long. Uh, I think it's about a year if I'm looking up and remember some of my facts right, and uh, often I don't when you're recording here on the fly, but I think it's a good question for the Big Fat Future. Wondering about the Big Fat Future of the Golden Company. When they hit the shores for Cersei, when Euron brings them over, uh, slightly different take from the books, but the Golden Company is is involved in the story. Uh, this part uh, in the books, or at least part of it. It's again, it's hard to say. We're so far past the books, but some things aren't there. It's it's a weird thing. The Golden Company is something that factors in. It was very interesting to me that they they brought it up even, and that Cersei has reached out to pay them. They are known for not breaking their contracts, though they break one big famous contract. Towards the end, and that's why they are uh, involved in the story. So, I don't know. Could Jorah talk to them? Could Jorah convince them to break a contract with Cersei? I think she's going to be paying them a lot with the Iron Bank of Bravos's money, with the gold taken from uh, High Garden and the Tyrells. So, I don't necessarily think Jorah could get in there, but it wouldn't be a bad idea. Reach out. I guess it's just you know, how long did Jorah really serve? How much of an impact? They are big and strong. This is 20,000 on the show, about 10,000 in the books. So will Jorah factor into the Golden Company coming to the shores of Westeros? I think it's possible. I don't think that will play out, but it's an interesting thing. All characters, all stories, all of it is intricately woven together. Game of Thrones, that's what I love. Little things that are cast aside, little things that are mentioned can come into play later on. That's why we love this story.
But that said, I want, I want to know, do you guys feel Jor will have anything to do with the Golden Company? Will he be a secret strategy for Danny and anyone else? Let me know. Call in here on Daily Thrones. In response to Lobo's call about why there really isn't a reaction, or the reaction's different between Daenerys and Jon's relationship and Jaime and Cersei, I think it's because Jamie and Cersei are set up to be the bad guys. And in the world of Game of Thrones, their relationship is abnormal. Whereas Targaryens, it's in their blood, it's in their history, they've done it for thousands of years. So in our minds, or the minds of fans, it's normal what John and Danny are doing. Daily Thrones. I was so excited on my last call-in about the episode ending that I didn't even hit two of my favorite things in the episode. One, John foreshadowing that Danny's totally going to get pregnant. That conversation of, well, who told you you could never get pregnant? Oh, the witch who killed my husband. I thought that was amazing, and I imagine that we're going to see Danny pregnant at the beginning of next season. And two, Sansa finally becoming the woman that she could be. I mean, from the early seasons where she completely identified herself around a man and what man she was going to marry, and her whole life was centered around who she was going to marry and serve, and now she is standing on her own two feet, linking arms with her sister, and and taking out Littlefinger. It was just such a great moment. So much good in that episode. So excited. That's night, Andrew, with a couple calls here on Daily Thrones. First one responding to Lobo. It's a great response. Thank you, sir. And the second one about Theon's road to redemption. And I think the Theon stuff was uh, one of the underrated aspects of the finale. So many other things went down that you almost can overlook that scene. And a lot of people are never really fully engaged with Theon. And I understand that. And also Theon's done so many bad things. Some people just wrote him off years ago. They didn't even want him to have redemption as a character. Uh, Dalfi Allen at Comic-Con this year talked about needing to, needing to try to establish a, a, a place for people to find empathy for Theon, that there was a lot going on. And I and I love the stuff going in there. Now, I'll start with the fight. The fight wasn't necessarily my favorite thing. It was okay. I, I liked it. Um, but it was a little played over the top a, a little bit and, and was oddly brutal and uh, uh, I shouldn't say oddly brutal. It's Game of Thrones. What am I saying? But you know what I mean? Like, it just, it, it was, uh, it stood out as a it was an interesting little side side moment in a, uh, a different kind of episode. So I guess what I'm trying to say is not my favorite fight, but I loved what Andrew said here, what the Hedge Knight said about Theon now using a weakness as a strength. And I do believe that was intentional. I do believe that was part of the story. The, you know, the, when he... When he got cut, that was that was his identity. That was what he, had, he was so proud of before his sexual prowess, and now completely gone. Um, his father failed, and now reckon, does not even recognize him as his son at this point. And you can argue that Balon didn't really recognize him as his son much to begin with, but now just he's not even a man anymore. It was, I think, the personification of what was going on with Theon. But now he uses that weakness as a strength. That's a good point, and I love this stuff. With John and him, I love the scene. I have people that criticize a lot of the writing in season seven. All right, we can get into it a little bit. 
little bit of a, you know, not my favorite discussion to say that the writing was bad. I think the writing was very good in season seven and the stuff with John and Theon is proof. It was one of my favorite scenes of the year. It shows uh, who Jon Snow is. Or should we start saying Aemon yet? I don't know. Aegon. I keep doing that. If you listened to me yesterday, I couldn't. I kept saying Aemon. I know it's Aegon. What's wrong with me? I got a tattoo it on my hand. Is that what we're calling him? Aegon the Seventh? Is that, have we decided that yet? Still Jon Snow to me. Anyways, I digress. I believe that this is uh, that was one of my favorite scenes of uh, the season in the sense that it should really show Jon's character. It, it really shows that what Theon needs to do, go save his sister. Whether or not that's your favorite storyline, I understand it's not. It certainly at this point doesn't factor into the big picture. But I do like it, and I do like the idea of Theon finding redemption. And I do think we as an audience should give him a little bit of sympathy and empathy because he did not have an easy road. And a lot of those decisions he made all the way back in season two, I'm not saying they're justified, I'm not saying I understand before, much like with a lot of Game of Thrones characters, you can see how he got to that point where he made that bad choice. But you understand the road there. So Theon and his road to the rede- road to redemption. Do you guys even care? I don't know. Talk about it here on Daily Thrones. You know what to do. Put in your calls. I want to hear theories and speculations. We're going to start getting into Tyrion and Cersei and the theory, this rumor that there's a the, uh, they're in league together now. Or Tyrion made some kind of deal. We have a lot more to get to. You have got you guys have killed it with calls this week. I have a lot waiting, so let's go ahead and get those calls in. That's Daily Thrones for the day. Well, so much to talk about here. A world of ice and fire here on Daily Thrones. <laughs> 